Believe it or not, I wasn't before I actually came here and heard your English accent. I wasn't sure where you were from. I was like,、oh. is she Danish? Because I looked on your website and I saw that you all Danish. I, stuff. Yeah, yeah, it was all Danish stuff. So, did you study there? What was going on? Yeah, I was in Denmark for fifteen years, on and off.、Um, I went there originally after I'd finished my undergraduate studies in the UK. Um, I went to have private lessons, some private composition lessons with Per Nergo, and、uh, with Hans Abrahamsen as well, and、uh, join in the seminars at the、um, uh, Conservatorium in Aarhus in in Denmark, and、uh, and then I started working with musicians there. I got some commissions and ended up staying. It was I was only planning to stay for one year, but with one thing and another, it became fifteen. <laughs> So. Wow. Okay. So it was one of these situations where, oh, just a year, and then then it be it turns into it turns into fifteen like that. <laughs> What made you want to go there in the first place? Was it those composers specifically?、Uh, yeah, it was. There was、uh, as I was in my last year, I studied.、Um, well, they call it music, but it would be like musicology、uh, in Cambridge, and、uh, in, during my final year. I was breaking away from the course there and getting a little bit disillusioned with what one can learn,、um, and、uh, I changed to philosophy. And I had this very clear idea: I wanted to study composition, but it just wasn't possible in Cambridge、uh, for some different reasons. So,、um, why wasn't it possible? Uh, so so the doors, the doors just didn't open. So because because Cambridge has a lot of composers and、uh, I mean both undergraduates and teachers, of course.、Uh, you know, it's there's composers all over the place.、Uh, I had gone there with a、uh, with a rather naive idea of、uh, um, of myself and what I wanted to get out of studying music and philosophy was much better for that. And also, I how shall I put it?、Uh, I felt really strongly that this was just not a place for women. <laughs> I、uh, I was. Strongly advised.、Uh, yeah, how can I say it without、uh, <laughs> naming names? <laughs> Then I mean, don't name. Don't I mean, just don't name names unless you want. No, no, yeah, don't yeah, name the, names. The don't do that. The professor of、yeah. music, you know, the only thing that he he said to me. Well, to 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 put it very,、uh, very maybe personally, you know, the the only contact I ever got to the professor of music after having applied to have lessons and、uh, all kinds、uh, was that he just once in a lecture, you know, said, "Oh, madam, will you open the window?" And <laughs> I, I I felt very clearly that this appeared. Optimized a, a number of kind of opportunities that were、uh, definitely open to men to、uh, to network and so on.、Uh, also, as musicians at Cambridge, there are many opportunities that are simply simply closed to women. And、uh, and then I, there was a festival of Nordic music at the Barbican, and I went to a seminar by Per Nergor, and I walked in late, and he just sort of said, you know, hi, I'm Per, and that sums up the kind of the contrast between these these two different worlds. Just、uh, that one simple kind of、uh, informal gesture yeah, said it to you. Coming on the back of you know three years of sitting in Cambridge and being quite quite frustrated and、um, and and,、uh, and and feeling it, it was very very hard. Can you can you close that door? I'm sorry,、oh, in the middle of something. And thank you. I don't know why I missed that.、Um. No, and、no, I I chose、um, King's College、uh, at Cambridge because it had a, a tradition of being the first college to ad- to admit w- women, and it had a sort of strong tradition of discussing gender and、uh, all kinds of、uh, rights and so on. But at the same time, there's a schism in the co- college that、uh, it has this boys' choir, and the musical life is very、uh, so associated with、uh, with a, with a tradition of boys and men.、Um, and、uh, although there are great composers that you know, also women, you know, Judith Weir and so on, who have、uh, who have been to King's. I just felt coming from my background, I just had no idea where to place my foot.、Um, yeah. So it was it, it was just kind of doubly hard for you because you didn't come there being a composer. So 
That's right. Kind, kind of the idea of you wanting to start while other people are already in it. It was difficult to get it department or the inner work of the, of the department it's that not way. a place to be beginning yeah yeah yeah, yeah exactly yeah yeah um, <laughs> or to switch halfway through maybe yeah so i mean yeah, yeah. i i had a great with the with the off curricular music scene i had all kinds of opportunities i tried conducting i did lots of composing i had things performed by other students so at a very you know the, the 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 student uh musical standard is very very high and that was absolutely very important for me and so i could identify with a lot of uh, other students uh, in that way but as far as the faculty was concerned I, I i just realized that i had been very naive thinking that you can turn up to cambridge and say you know i, I want to start composing you know i want to s- start studying composition <laughs> um and there, there were, i just didn't find that the, that support for that which i think many other places where maybe the pedagogy is a little more open there would be there would be a few more doors opening for people who are coming in from different directions but did you feel like you were did you feel like it was just a political thing and did you feel like you were technically behind like did, the two things uh, go together of course you know i yeah. mean the advantages that you bring with you empower you of course to uh, use them and to be seen uh, as being in control of your trade your tools and so on so in every sense being at the beginning and, and I, I felt like i now i'm leaving home and i'm going to i'm going to study and uh, this is where it begins and i didn't realize that uh, uh, everyone else has been doing these things since they're 13 <laughs> so so, um, yeah, it was, it, was, it was a kind of naivety also about my craft, of course, yeah. So you do that, it's not a good experience. You decided that you have to get out of that situation and the beginning of it was passing, hello. And then how, does you, how do you end up in Denmark from there? Like, uh, yeah, that, that, that also, most I important mean... hello ever to happen to anybody. <laughs> No, I mean, I was also, uh, you know, writing letters to, you know, to Germany, Liebe Hochschule, kann ich hier studieren, and things like that, uh, uh, with absolutely no uh, idea of how, how will I get to study with somebody whose music I've heard and who I think can, can give me something. So, so this kind of, um, approach, I had heard also that in, in Aarhus, we have, a, uh, there's an environment where the teachers go to each other's seminars, you know, the composers go to each other's seminars. I found that immensely positive. Uh, and it also uh, indicated a kind of uh, pluralism at some level in, towards approaches and that there was this uh, wonderful culture of debate between students and uh, and the staff. Uh, all the staff and the students presented their works at the same seven seminars and had them discussed at, this, at the same level. Of course, with uh, all respect for the differences uh, between students and uh, and staff. Uh, but I, I found that, you know, that that's exactly what I was missing, you know, some some kind of just open uh, open exchange. And, and, and when I arrived, it did turn to be that fruitful for me um so you know something in me uh, wanted that to be a good solution and it was do you think it was specifically you that needed that environment or do you think in general that's i'm i guess asking you to make a statement now but what what environment do you think is better like that open uh, well, one. I would, always, of one, course, yeah. I will. I will always choose. Uh, I will always choose uh, the one that <laughs> that I chose. Yeah. Um. And I, you know, when I've been teaching myself, then of course I, you know, I, I often, you know, hope that I can influence things in in that direction. Um. I don't really see the advantages, or I think there, there's too much. There's too much loss with the other approach. There's too much talent that gets uh, that gets excluded, or you know. So. Yeah, and in a way, I'm, how old are you at the, when you're when you're at Cambridge trying to uh, break your way into composition how old are you at the time yes yeah, so i arrived when i was 19 and i left when i was 22 see okay is isn't that crazy <laughs> how let's say let's do let's do an average of that but like how 2021 20, is already late in the game somehow 
Like, it that's was, ridiculous. It genuinely was. It genuinely was. For, for London, for them, Cambridge though, but is not a, like for the world, you know, that's. No, but, yeah. you know, like for a musical career in a place that is an offshoot of London and with the tradition of any European capital with its hot houses of music colleges and people who have been very dedicated from, you know, from or pushed uh, from a very early age, that's incredibly late to be waking up to the idea that you like music. Is that just a political reality and not a technical reality? Do you know what I mean when I say that? Like, okay, the way the, quote, I mean, business or the the structure is set up in European capitals is that you do have to start that young because people get on these tracks and, you know, by the time you're 19, you should be doing this and you should be doing that. But at the same time, someone like you who started late, I mean, you have a career now, you know, you're doing stuff now. So obviously there's a contradiction between those two things. Do you know what I mean? Uh, yeah, yeah, I would answer in two ways. One is political implies uh, that it's a conscious dis- choice, a collective decision. And uh, I think, well, it's just a tradition, isn't it? It's a, it's a convention. It's coming from the 19th century or before, or it's some, some kind of idea of Wunderkinder and yeah, exactly. geniuses yeah, yeah. and so on, uh, which in virtually no profession today uh, holds. Um, uh, you know, in, in any other profession, you would acknowledge that maturity is uh, also necessary to, you know, to perfect your trade so knowing knowing the tools is one thing but um, and express yourself obviously yeah and what do you art. have to express and so on you know but many people find of course that uh, that there's very persuasive something very persuasive of what youth has to express in music why not <laughs> so um uh, you know so 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 that's one it's a tradition virtuosity of uh, youth and virtuosity going together the other the other side of it is also of course that um if you're uh, Maybe I didn't know enough alternative people because, of course, London is full of all kinds of other scenes and artistic scenes and artistic musical scenes, experimental and so on. I didn't uh, I didn't know about that. I just came from the provinces. If uh, the way that I saw there's an established musical culture and how you get into it and you have to have a publisher or you're nobody and, you know, a whole load of things, which now I can look at more relaxed and say, well, <laughs> you know, that's uh, that's one way of having a career. And there's so many other ways of uh, making music. Um, uh, but of course, if you're if you have the feeling that that's the goal that you are supposed to be aiming for whether I got it from myself or whether it was uh, something that I picked up from the vibes around me then it is correct it is too late there's a certain style of music there's a certain you know there's a certain career for for conductors composers and musicians you are too late and it's just as tough as uh, gymnastics or something like that Um, you know your your, your career has to be going by a certain age and if you don't put in the hours during puberty then 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 you're not going to make it so it's a different kind of music you can write later um, and it's uh, it's a different uh, view of what kind of musical language you'll be using and what is the role of virtual, virtuosity expression. I, I didn't hear very many people that time at that time talking about aesthetics, hermeneutics, uh, <laughs> um, any kind of complexity and so on. I, I just heard people talking about instrumentation and the control of uh, form and structure according uh, according to some relatively narrow, uh, narrow definitions. Um, yeah, that's true. Actually, now that you say that, I agree with it. It is almost like a sport in that way where if there's a type of maybe elasticity to the brain where if you don't get it during a certain age, mm. that once you're even – that's a little bit depressing even to think about. But like once you're already <laughs> in your late 20s, it's kind of hard to get there. 
Yeah, I, I, yeah. so I, 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 I can see But why. you got there. Uh, well, no, because I write a different kind of music. Um, okay. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'm not I'm not writing the music that comes from... If I had got those lessons from those teachers that I thought were so important at that time to be able to tick off on my CV and so on, uh, I'm sure I would be writing a different music uh, than, than what I'm doing today. I also went to some masterclasses of Tristan Mirai and I got, I, I got that side of things at the same time I wasn't in Earcam, you know, so I get one side of Tristan Mirai and I... I don't get the studio experience. So what kind of music will you write coming out of that? You know, of course, it would, be, would have been different if I had sat, sat in Earcom for a year. But to just take his music, like, again, in a sort of non-technological level and use it as a set of metaphors and timbres and to be inspired, by, it gives a different result uh, to be inspired by the one side of even the same composer than, uh, than the other side. So, yeah, these, these technical things are very important. And it has been kind of shocking to wake up again and again and again and think, oh, you don't know... You have not done your homework. You've not been <laughs> paying attention and so on. Um, and uh, and that sort of struggle with myself, how dedicated am I to my profession? Is it absolutely important that I convince everyone around me uh, that I have to go uh, to Paris or to here or to there or that I have to take this workshop or have those lessons there or get this scholarship and so on? Or can I relax and uh, sit in the place where I just happen to be in my life and uh, make some music of my own um, with the means that I have around me, with the people that I have around me. Which one of those two do you feel? So it has been more the the latter. It has been, you know, sit, sitting in Denmark, uh, not being in the hot house, <laughs> having the pressure off, finding there were many musicians who were super, super curious to try something that they've not tried before. Maybe they don't have so much experience as musicians to, to draw on of the sort of central European musical aesthetic, <laughs> but then they have so much else to offer, for example, their time. So that was, that was another, you know, on the anecdotal level, another seminal experience for me was coming back to the UK after some years of being in Denmark and uh, going to a rehearsal on a piece which had a theatrical element there was choreography there was movement in it and it was for me absolutely central to the piece uh, and at the rehearsal there wasn't time to practice the choreography so the musicians practiced what was written down and in the performance they had a go at the choreography they thought well we'll just do it you know so we walk from here to there and you know we change instruments and so on and of course the piece was an absolute catastrophe and uh, afterwards I was told sort of resoundingly well you can't expect in the UK to have rehearsal time for this kind of experiment you know and um, that was absolutely right I didn't know what I was doing I had not done that kind of thing before probably I should have known uh, six or ten composers who work in that way and uh, I should have uh, studied with Apagi or I don't know what but um, I hadn't I was trying it out in my own way in Denmark I found the musicians who will try it out with me and who will give me their time for those kinds of rehearsals and so I could create instrumental theater and so on like that in the UK, in that situation, on that festival, it just wasn't possible. It was, you know, inconceivable that anyone will turn up and want to be making experiments with choreography. So, Yeah. But which one is a more creative place of those two? They're both creative. They're both super creative in you think different so? ways. You, you think so? You, but like, <laughs> but, but one is incredibly open. Nobody has these preconceived notions about what they're doing because they don't haven't studied with this person and this person and this person and this person to learn how to quote properly do something. And the other one is very restrictive again, both in the amount of rehearsal times, what people are willing to do and not willing to do based on tons of training that they've had since they were 13 mm. that, you know, I think one is more open than the other. And maybe it's a little bit 
sloppier and you know you kind of messily feel your way through things and then you find something that works and you grab onto it and then that's the thing that you use but the possibilities for something unique is i think exponentially multiplied if you're in a situation like that mm, but like i can really respect the creativity of the other version as well that you can achieve some things on the other version that you can't achieve when technically things happen at a lower level maybe like a sense of professionalism or yeah know. and just the same as like you know i have huge respect for british musicians who can sight read like no one else in the whole world because that's what they they don't have any rehearsal time so they are fantastic sight readers and when you need that skill uh, and you've written that piece that you know or you're in that situation that requires that they can do it and to many composers will be very frustrated you know maybe growing up with that culture and going somewhere else and finding uh, in Denmark they can't sight read because they're used to having a whole week for this you know instead of two hours both the things you can get it you can get a long way with both and you know now I feel very <laughs> very old saying this but uh, um, you know earlier I had also the, a struggle that I think a lot of uh, composers have when they're starting off um, you know what about orchestras what about conductors and hierarchies and so on and and one sees these kind of uh, you know I have to choose you know am I gonna am I gonna work with this animal or not or am I going to just uh, work with uh, more free art ensembles who have chosen with their lifeblood to uh, and uh, I remember when I got my first orchestral commission I spent months thinking well of course uh, I'm not going to use a conductor and probably I'm not going to use the instruments and how what else can I get away with uh, you know what else can I get rid of um, and uh, and the end it all came back again I thought this is uh, now I have an idea what I want to do and I really I need musicians who are going to be super efficient I need a conductor who's going to be really efficient to communicate it, you know, and I ended up doing a piece which was uh, technically challenging in terms of video and electronics and it would only have been possible to do it with an orchestra which was incredibly hierarchically organized and which you know never contemplated going home one minute early or one minute late or, you know and, and that could uh, stick to that regiment if it had been an ensemble of musicians who were more used to debating things and uh, and things being more elastic I probably would never have uh, got the piece uh, realized uh, or produced at that level so, so you know, so even within my own experience, sometimes I have been exactly feeding on uh, that merciless efficiency and the kind of the aspects of musical life, which you know, earlier in my career most annoyed me and frustrated me and turned me off, made me feel like I'm, you know, pursuing the wrong the wrong career. <laughs> um, yeah. Do you think those two versions that we're talking about right now? Do you think they have different rewards? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Like one 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 is one is that you kind of. Again, getting back to the idea of maybe professionalism a little bit, like when you're working with an orchestra like that, when you're creating something under very tight restrictions and you're having to use your skills to put that together, that's a, that makes you look like a professional. And then you go up on stage and take a bow and everybody's head. Of course, they're appreciating the artistic experience that they had, but they're also thinking about you as a very skillful craftsman composer who's able to express an idea precisely. And then the other one, I'm just like working with choreographers and keeping it very open and stuff like that. Maybe the people are more open to their personal experience and maybe aren't thinking so much about you as a craftsman. Can I say craftsman? Should I say craftswoman? How do you say that? Whatever. Hey, craftsman. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I see what you're saying. Um, and I think that is, uh, well, if we talk about the rewards, I think it's incredibly rewarding to put something out to an audience uh, where afterwards they're maybe still ticking over 
it may be mental, it may be emotional, it may be associations that they've had, dreamlike, whatever, I don't know. And they want to come and uh, talk to you and find out. Maybe they're a little bit insecure, like, I don't think your piece has got anything to do with it, but I just wanted to tell you, you know, I was thinking about this. And does that have anything, you know, and then you say, oh, I never thought of that, you know, but, um, you know, anyway, have a nice day. And I think it's really nice to put something in the world which is ambiguous, uh, where people uh, might want to share with me their experience. Uh, just uh, maybe they will feel more expert about their own experience than than I will be able to help them with. If you see yeah, what I yeah, mean, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. It, you know, it, it may, that's not to say that my work is more complex or anything. But uh, this is to say the situation that we are all in is maybe more complex than it is just is just over and done because now we see the composer and we see who made this fantastic thing, which. Uh, uh, which I have experienced, and um, as an audience, um, so I, I, I like to be in. I like to be in that um, ambiguous situation where we are all working on this together. <laughs> and I put out some things. Uh, the musicians uh, uh, take some material and they do. They run another hundred meters with it, or six kilometers, or however far the piece allows, or they are able, or the time allows, and so on. Or I love working in c- creative collaborations also with visual artists. So together we, you know, we. Run a little bit further than we would alone and then the listener or the audience or the viewer takes it then uh, another few meters or kilometers uh, you know while we are all together and then afterwards maybe a bit further so I don't expect that the moment of applause is um uh, is a moment necessarily for me. Um, of course, I love to get on stage and, you know, the relief of uh, whew, it's gone okay, you know, but sometimes I've stood on a stage and had absolutely half booze and yeah, and um, it's a, it's always an interesting situation, the the applause moment, because, you know, the, you meet you meet the reaction. But, you know, the applause is also for the musicians. Um, it's uh, also for, it's a bit like, you know, the yoga thing, you know, thank yourself for coming for today. <laughs> is it? Yeah. The yeah. audience applauding themselves, you know, for for coming out on Friday night to hear contemporary music or whatever. <laughs> so you know, it's just the relief that it's over. Sometimes um, uh, it doesn't have anything to do with uh, with what people think of uh, of this person who's getting getting up on stage and saying yeah. that's my work. No, that's interesting. No, I've actually never even interpreted or even thought to interpret applause of anything other than for the ensemble and the composer. In that situation, I didn't realize that some maybe they're applauding themselves for being able to sit through it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, that's kind of like a bit uh, perversely expressed. But I think there is that kind of. Um, uh, you know, recently, I went to a concert where, uh, before the concert started, the audience was very elated and very excited um, at themselves. I, I felt really that everyone's kind of, uh, and it was a little bit of a kind of um, Berlin scene uh, concert, you know, where uh, maybe also people are just really enjoying the fact that they've, they're at the right concert for networking or whatever. But, um, you know, the, the audience was extremely uh, kind of keyed up at the beginning and there was a big hype around it. And um, and I thought, well, that's, uh, you know, that's whatever, however the concert goes after this, you know, this audience was was coming for for themselves, so to speak. Yeah. What concert was this? Ensemble Apparat, uh, new brass ensemble. Wait, wait, was this recently? Yeah. Like you were last at week. that? Yeah, were you there? Yeah, I was there. Okay. Are you talking about uh, uh, Villa Elizabeth? Elizabeth? Yeah, yeah, Villa Elizabeth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. I came in like a, you can you, you can get past the like in the aisle like in the concert you can get through the aisle for people kind of I, I felt like everyone's congratulating themselves. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. It, you know, for, for for good and for bad, it was a it was a super super electric atmosphere before it even started. To tell you the truth, I mean, I I did enjoy the music of that concert. I thought that was a good concert, but. 
whenever I'm in a situation like that, because I know exactly what you're talking about, because I knew every, I, I knew over half the people sitting there, and it was, mm. it was like everyone I ever knew in Berlin was at <laughs> mm. that concert. Mm. I had interviewed most of the people. Of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I had this tremendous sense of anxiety when the concert was over because I have to say hello to everybody, <laughs> and if I don't, I'm being rude. Like the pressure of keeping track. And also, you can't just say hello. You can't just be like, hi, okay, bye. You have to like say hello when they ask them a question and then be interested in what they're saying. But at the same time, you're realizing that it's maybe five minutes and someone else left and you didn't say hi to them. And 30 to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, 30 to go. All, you know, I, I see people like that and like I'm, you know, I'm friends with them. I'm close with them, but they're just beca- it just becomes a checklist. For mm-hmm. me, oh, I got to say hi to him, 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 her, 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 you know. Mm. Uh, oh, but you were there, so. Mm. Mm. Thank God we hadn't met yet. Because I <laughs> yeah, that would have been. Yeah, like, yeah, that would have been one too oh many. God. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> No, having family is a great uh, is a great saver in that situation because one can always say I have to go home for the babysitter. So. Oh, that's perfect. <laughs> Maybe we should start lying about having a family. Yeah, you can, you can, yeah, you can do that. <laughs> uh, okay, so it's, this is interesting now because these two worlds, these two ideas of working in Cambridge and both in Denmark, the kind of openness and the closeness. And now I'm wondering what brought you to Berlin. I've been working on and off while I was based in Denmark with an ensemble here, KNM, Kam Ensemble Neue Musik. And uh, they saved one of my pieces, which had been played by a number of ensembles, but always the the rehearsals have been very controversial. Although the concerts usually kind of went quite well with this piece, but it was a, for 15 musicians, no score, no conductor, a lot of chamber music required from a group, which is obviously, conventionally speaking, too big to be running by movements of the eyebrows and shoulders and, uh, and particularly in a musical idiom where you don't have pulse. Um, the pages, pages of the parts were set up so that uh, on each line you have either 15 or 30 seconds. I cannot remember which. Uh, but anyway, more more seconds than that you could ever be together with each other when you get to the end of it if there's not much music happening in between. So very, very quiet uh, timbres that mainly will be quite shaky. Some of them won't work. Multiphonics that you might hear or might not hear clearly and so on. And so the musicians are all kind of struggling to see and hear and try and get contact with each other in one way or another. Have you started yet or are you finished? I can't hear it. <laughs> this piece, uh, then uh, K&M uh, played it uh, one time, just like Angels. They found also the research, the rehearsal procedure. They had rehearsed in Berlin and then they came up to Copenhagen for a concert. And um, and it was uh, totally unproblematic for, for them. And they said, oh, we do this kind of thing all the time or, you know, these kinds of experiments and so on. So I was very, very curious to work with them again. I thought, how how can that be after I've had... Yeah, so much uh, heartbreak with this piece and had to listen to so many, <laughs> so many conductors that don't want to step down from the podium and say, well, I'll do it with a stopwatch or I'll, you know, give uh, a sign like a traffic warden or, you know, trying to sort of come with uh, some technical solutions that just weren't in the spirit of the piece. Uh, also, I had a number of personal collection connections also uh, in Berlin and uh, very sort of deep friendships. And uh, and then at one time in Copenhagen, my personal life changed a lot. And I felt uh, that I'm looking really at the choice of whether I can continue to be a relatively free composer with a, f- a freelance career where I really have time for writing the pieces that I enjoy writing 
writing and then all the attendant things that go with composition, a little bit of uh, writing articles and uh, some musicology and uh, interviews and whatever, um, being involved in also producing and organizing things. Or am I going to go and get a day job because uh, life in, in Denmark is not cheap? And I felt like, well, Berlin is a place where you can look at look at all the artists here. You can you can do that. You can uh, you can be a a family person and also have a relaxed career without having to choose between without having too many sort of crises of choice. So, but I were kind of one of these kind of artistic economic refugees, <laughs> yeah. uh, coupled with a lot of uh, you know with a lot of uh, good vibes about both professional and personal uh, network down here that I wanted to plug into. So and it's worked out for you here. Yes, obviously. absolutely. I, I really mean, yeah yeah really really appreciate the. I mean, there's a baby crib to the left of me, so I'm assuming that it's worked out at some level. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything multiplies, including the amount of people you're responsible for, which absolutely. I guess is from one to at least two. I'm assuming. Well, we're at, we're at six now. So. Whoa! Really? Yeah. Patchwork six. So yeah. Okay. Okay. That makes more. <laughs> That makes more sense then. <laughs> no, I, I have two two children uh, and, um, and my partner has two as well. Okay. Yeah. I mean, maybe we can start talking about the piece that you sent me and like the, you know, the intentions behind it and everything and solo cello and electronics and feedback. And I mean, what's the... What, yeah, that's the setup, what, and the cellist, the, setup and the cellist the also has that? a um, uh, has a metal plate which he or she plays with the sole of their foot. So something scratchy on the sole of a shoe, a nail, or when cellist has played it with the cycling shoes, you know, with the sort of grip on the bottom. Oh, uh, I see. The, yeah, the things that clip in. So yeah, yeah, yeah the thing like yeah. professional cyclers. Exactly. Use. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So there's sort of a scratchy thing going on with the metal plate and uh, and then there's a playback of scratchy metallic sounds and then the cellist is playing different uh, timbres which blend well or aspire to be scratchy metallic sounding. So. Is the idea just to create a different type of homogenous kind of world and showing the connections between these two things or...? Yeah, so I wrote it for a, um, there was a sort of double context. Um, one was that I was putting together a music theater production, which, um, was, uh, which actually ended up not being produced because it uh, was, uh, became quite expensive and we didn't get the funding for it. But, um, yet, but it was, uh, the, the, the structure of the music theater piece was to be made up of various musical bricks, sonic bricks. And, uh, for e each brick then should have a very strong sonic character of its own which would clearly stand in contact contrast to each other almost like an etude or something or like a study on a color yeah yeah so yeah. so yeah any 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 an intense exploration of one set of timbres or one set of associations so this was the me the metal thing um and uh, the other the aspect of the context was that this was um something i was developing together with uh, knm and they offered then as the chance to sort of try out each of these bricks uh in chamber in a chamber context to sort of work up this repertoire of uh, of sounds um, then the, that I could write this cello piece for um, a concert that they uh, were giving in Siemens Turbine Hall in here in Berlin, so where they make the turbines. So that gave me a kind of uh, you like industrial... For, you mean like for planes? I think for ships. Okay. Yeah. Do ships have turbines? I think there's something they to do with ships. I, yeah. if they got to put the propellers somewhere, right? Yeah. Would that be, yeah. Okay. I think it's like for big cruise ships, that kind of stuff.
So anyway, so that gave an industrial context and then the whole concept was in this industrial context. A lot of other composers and sound artists making pieces f for this context too or the ensemble bringing in pieces. Also, Louis Andreessen's uh, Workers, I've forgotten the title, Workers Union, that's it. So um, yeah. that was this kind of double, the industrial thing and the metallic timbre. The, the sound world of this piece totally makes sense now that you're telling me obvious. that it's being performed <laughs> in a turbine, right? Yeah, yeah. This is very, very <laughs> echoey. It's not, it's, you know, it's not dry. It doesn't have like very, you know the, the idea of the coordinated moment and the dry kind of it's a wash of sounds yeah absolutely yeah yeah, 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 yeah. so of yeah. course that's going to work well in a very echoey cylinder literally yeah. like yeah. sounds could be bouncing around in all directions mm. okay mm. So, and just out of curiosity what were the other sound worlds you were exploring and well, I mean, maybe maybe they haven't been realized yet because you haven't gotten the funding quote yeah, yet. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so there were a number with with voice, so uh, one with a political text, so which had to be understood, obviously for a, uh, for a theater acoustic. Then um, I was working a lot with voice for the for the first time that I had done that kind of really in, intensively. So working with uh, voice and electronics, um, different kinds of approaches to the question why sing really I mean because music theatre is all about that and I'd done quite a lot of instrumental theatre which kind of bordered on concert music um, and so this kind of to step over the threshold and overcome my fear of the voice <laughs> oh god you know like either there's going to be nonsense language or there's going to be understandable text so, so what am I going to do <laughs> and uh, working with the, a director of course you mainly have to do with somebody who loves text and uh, and wants that to be understood and doesn't understand why contemporary music has this big problem with words that are going to be understood <laughs> mm -hmm. um so that was a, that was an adventure for me to try what can i do with the voice keeping it uh, understandable and using different levels of uh, political uh, poetic text recordings from the radio taken taken as more or less as field recordings so on just sort of sampled as uh, as part of a broader ambience where the radio is on um one of the uh, springboards for the for the project was also the music text by Deleuze and Guattari the, the the music chapter from a thousand plateaus which is about the refrain and it begins also with uh, talking uh, firstly about a child singing uh, secondly a mother singing at home and thirdly radios and tvs sort of marking the area of the home, you know, the, the, the safety of having the radio on or the TV on while you're at home, keeping you kind of sane. <laughs> yeah, like the people uh, are dependent on that background noise. Or, yeah, yeah. 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 So, there's the, the, so the, the, these were quite sort of strong, strong images that, that I was working with for this piece. Um, yeah, so trying to sort of blend these uh, amb ambient sounds, field recordings, in what way putting a radio in into a field recording it makes it suddenly into a sort of a hybrid space. <laughs> As a hybrid sonic space and why bring philosophical text with no kind of rhythm or sort of obviously musical properties why why make that the starting point for a music theater piece the first few pages of this chapter also which goes on to talk a lot about birds uh, why birds sing was kind of a, a good metaphor for me or a good parallel discussion for me to be having with the director about you know so why do we have people singing on stage? Do we like opera? Do we not like opera? Are we aiming for opera? And so on. So a lot of the musical worlds were, worlds were different levels of dealing with the voice. You wrote a text on opera. I think I read it on your... 
Uh, yeah, a couple of years ago, I wrote a manifesto for a manifesto published by an uh, Australian group, Chambermaid Opera, who I'm also going to work with this year again. So, so are, do, do you always think, not apparatically, but like big themed like this? Oh, but opera can be very, very small. <laughs> is this going to be a small I, opera? This that is you're a super do? small opera. It's a, it's a mini opera, micro opera. It's more about taking the word opera into your mouth and not being afraid of it, you know. Um, so, uh, you I'm know, afraid it, of it. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, one can also call it post-opera or post-operatic something or other. Um, I'm even more afraid of that. <laughs> what does that even mean? I mean <laughs> it's, all, it's all difficult. Instrumental theatre is difficult because people think of, you know, that that's something that was kind of like, you know, towards the mid half of the 20th century and then it was in and that was out you know so we've had that um or music theater it can be so many things it's musicals it's uh you know it's it's very very broad which is great if you can deal with that um but then i sort of a bit like deciding to work with orchestras and saying actually i do like the way that orchestras work i do like the way that they are um their mechanism works and i do actually want to commit to that and uh, exploit that uh, then opera also does have some things opera has a, a machinic history of being adventurous with technologies uh, of creating illusions and magic you don't get much of that in contemporary music you're talking about you're referring to like a uh, 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 grand opera where they used to have like bowling balls on the well, uh, baroque, to, like, imitate opera, thunder. baroque opera, you know, scene changes, the idea of uh, bringing in a god coming down, you know, deus ex machina, um, uh, all kinds of metaphors which which have to be sort of magically realized. You don't, But you don't think uh, um, pure acoustic music has that element to it? Has that like tech pushing forward like technology to make a point? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But it's rarely about illusions and magic, I think, um, for me. (laughs) I I mean, maybe maybe we're thinking in different realms here, but I think Mm -hmm. uh, something that's orchestrated perfectly that sounds like something that uh, that the composite sounds like nothing like the individual instruments used. That for me is what you were talking about, like that kind of illusion or something, or even this is kind of dated now, but even like certain elements of like micro polyphony or something like that's the mm-hmm. magical illusion for me and that's purely acoustic mm. right yeah i mean of course you know brilliant orchestral intima- instrumentation is also an aspect of the operatic tradition that is also one of the the, the thrilling things of going to grand opera um and then one can have one's favorite repertoire and one's less favorite repertoire and so on um but of course the the, the push for i mean opera has a lot of that you know pushing for a better instrumentation pushing for more effects um maybe effects is is the word uh, that's why i talk about uh, magic and illusionism because uh, in in a more uh, intellectually driven uh, idea of music where uh, it's where the accent is on instruments as abstract and so on um there will be less respect for the cheap tricks of simply simply impressing uh, an, an audience um, with something that may be visual, maybe the visual and the audio. You're not quite sure what did it, but suddenly there was a transformation and it was bigger than the sum of <laughs> of just that the orchestra carried on playing. So so it's a, like it's a kind of a plus one. I'm, you know, I'm very interested in the way that um, also when we're when I'm 
I don't know, orchestral concert, I rarely close my eyes and let it take me away. You know, I'm very interested in what's going on on the stage. It's, a, it's this sort of commitment to the visual thing. And then I want the visual thing also to impress me the same way. It's a very strange situation for me when you go to an orchestral concert and what you hear is breathtaking, what you see is dull. Uh, you know, so I want, I want them both to seduce me. <laughs> I, you know, I want them both to blow me away. What's the last operatic production that you saw? That did that for you, that you were like, oh, my God. Oh, God. This has really pushed everything to the point where I'm, like, technologically speaking, that I'm so impressed with the sum of this oh, yeah. and, and didn't know that it was even possible. Okay, well, this is, this is, uh, this, uh, this sounds maybe a little bit uh, obtuse, but actually, you know, this explains maybe the sort of manifesto character of, uh, you know, both also sort of working very hard on a music theatre production, which hasn't happened yet and so on. Um, it's all a projection for me. I'm very interested in in the speculation of, you know, also what, you know, what will opera be like in the internet, for example? How will we have operatic experiences in the internet? Because, you know, we will get there one day and we will have, I don't I don't mean like uh, the Met at the local cinema and I don't mean like the digital concert hall uh, the way it is at the moment, like sort of projecting repertoire that we already have uh, through through the internet but I sort of like I have you know so as I'm projecting these d- different visions through having a family I don't know when was the last time I went uh, to to the opera I mean I think this concert I went to last week was also the first concert I've been to for about apart from a festival that I curated it's about the first concert that I've been to for two years except that I wasn't involved in myself you know so I'm not a big audience <laughs> I, I I don't go to to hear a lot of things and I you know I'm not hanging out at Covent Garden uh, every time I go to London it's not like that I honestly don't know whether the last thing that I saw that I thought was amazing is the guiding star of uh, where I want to go if you see what I mean I'm in my own little world and I'm <laughs> I'm projecting a okay. vision you know, okay so. so what's your vision what's your ambition then <laughs> Um, yeah, that I would I would like to be able to uh, you know incorporate then uh, you know a, a large orchestra ambition of electronics um, uh, in a conventional stage. I would like to get access to one of these opera houses that has all the machines. I, I would like to realize an opera that is not at a contemporary music venue where you have to bring everything along yourself and uh, where there's uh, sort of a standard uh, maybe black boxish sort of setup and uh, and then you can sort of deal with that and as much as you can bring along on top i would like me and my colleagues uh, i would like us to have access to all these kind of uh, fancy cultural houses and institutions where they have uh, the means to produce magic <laughs> how do you do that how do you get there to the point where you have access to that? Because is it, I don't know. I mean, maybe you don't know the answer either, but. Obviously it, not because yeah. I'm not there yet. <laughs> yeah, but did you have, are you, do you want to get there? Do Are you, is, do you have a roadmap or a plan to get there? And like, does it start out just you and your friends and you build a reputation? Or do you have to like, kind of like find the right people to go to your concerts or do you have to write a good grant or I mean how does that I think that you have happen? to do all of that I think it's all of that you know and then at some point you're lucky you know at some point you know one of those connections so it's the same it's the same as doing chamber music you know some some of your pieces arise because a musician asked you sometimes it's you know because of somebody you worked with 10 years ago suddenly remembers you and so and other things uh, come through uh, through a more um, strategic uh, route you know and some jobs come because you are well connected some jobs come because you're not well connected um uh, and I'm sure it's the same with the bigger fish as well. Um, What's the closest thing you've gotten as far as an 
theatrical production, you know, to, uh, the, to, the to that ideal. The last couple of years have been very difficult for me because I have come quite close several times to being able to do a really big production and I've put a lot of work into uh, planning, communicating, all of that and in teams also, you know, with uh, either with a librettist or with a director or larger teams. Uh, I mean, this music theatre production, I think we've had three three workshops uh, where either K&M travelled up to Copenhagen or we travelled down to Berlin and, you know, and uh, and the last workshop in in Berlin, I've, you know, I don't know how much equipment arrived in that van from Copenhagen, but it was it was huge for a workshop, and it was a very very difficult thing for me to swallow that that, that was not going to happen on that format, and that uh, I mean the director decided that we didn't want it to be smaller. Um, then we then, don't want it. We want it to be smaller. We yeah. didn't want it to be smaller. So oh, you know, okay. it's all or nothing. And I've had another one of those as well. You know, uh, which where I was in dialogue and it was planned and with dates and so on uh, with one of the opera houses in in Germany. And that was full orchestra, electronics, full stage staff, and everything. And uh, and then cuts uh, and uh, no money for that. You know, and the, the, I, I know I'm not the only one. So it's uh, you know, it's uh, it was great to get into the situation to be allowed to plan that and that. Certainly, you know, learned a huge, huge amount from being able to sort of uh, uh, do that. Heartbreaking, though, huh? But right? it's, it's very just, hard because you just got punched in the face by austerity or something <laughs> like that, right? <laughs> no, I know. I, I don't, don't, don't take it uh, so negatively. I, you know, it is to do with money, and uh, of course, when you're a composer, you're coming with something that nobody asked for. You're always coming with an idea that nobody asked for, um, uh, and it's really nice to to find a context where you feel that people are asking for it. But those are usually the small niches. Uh, when you try to do something bigger, then you're always having to legitimate it and squeeze your way in. And uh, the history of opera is full of operas that <laughs> took years and years and decades. And, you know, and then just the half of it was done and then the other half of it was done. And those are some of the, the, the works which are very inspiring for me as well. So I can certainly identify with the, with the fact that you have to be a little bit patient and just try again, try again and uh, take every opportunity in the best spirit. And if it falls along the way, then okay you don't you don't you don't think there's any solution concerning compromise as far as budget and scale goes yeah there is but if you want to do something big then it will be expensive and it will be difficult to realize but so. you i mean you, you don't want to do something big for the sake of it being big you'm sure you have a vision that you think has to be big uh, for, for example, if we take Sonic Bricks, uh, we wanted a certain multi-layeredness. Uh, so it was still possible with a small number of musicians. But then to have that multi-layeredness on the stage, it has to be have a certain te technical complexity. And some ideas can be represented. And I really have gone down that path before. You know, I've done very reduced uh, works, which I really enjoyed um working on where the materials are very very limited uh, so the lighting is just matches <laughs> you know we can be sure that we can <laughs> we can realize that you know we can afford the matches we don't need <laughs> a lighting technician and so on but also that becomes incredibly complex you know oh, you still need the fire department to come and uh, you know actually there's not very many places you can realize uh, an intense idea in the pitch block where you ask them to take out all the exit signs and so on. every idea that wants to go to an extreme whether it's 
as small as possible, as small as a matchstick or as or as large as an opera house. You know, uh, every extreme idea is is going to sort of bring with it its own uh, challenges. And and I have as much respect for the ones that say there's no budget for this as for the ones that say, well, you sorry, please don't set our small venue on fire. You have to be sensitive to that. So I think for me, for the moment, the only I don't feel like sort of saying, well, I'll you know I'll do everything kind of like medium scale. Um, then then I just say, well, I just I can just really learn to understand the problems that um, producers have and and, and keep going, <laughs> keep, keep hoping. Yeah, yeah but I'm, I'm almost wondering if there's large scale ambition on a technical level, not mm. like on an artistic level, but on a technical level. If that isn't kind of going against an ongoing historical trend of art houses getting cut and do you know mm. what I mean? Like I think, and this is just a theory of mine, but I think the way is to try and figure out and mold your vision on a small scale sense nowadays mm. because money is drying up for reasons we all read about in the paper, you mm. know? Mm. So I don't know. I mean... Yeah, I know. You're saying it's like it's unfashionable to... to, to, uh, to I didn't know. I didn't, I, didn't say, I didn't say No, no, no. But, but yeah. um, uh, 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 maybe it's even like inappropriate also in, you know, in, in our times to uh, to still thirst after sort of huge cultural forces. And, and, and yes, I think so too. But as long as there are orchestras and opera houses, it's also important for me also politically um, not just with my own music but you know with that of my colleagues I think it's important for me to feel that one could influence them um, that one could that one could be in dialogue with them that one could have an input on that stage with that audience uh, with those people that come for that kind of cultural event I would like to I would like to be in dialogue with that audience as well I don't uh, so so those those who think the same as me is not a it's not the only audience for me. Um, then I prefer that we sit and talk about music, but I, that's true. Yeah, that I, is, it doesn't yeah. inspire me uh, in the same way. I, I, I want to. I do want to make something for somebody's grandmother. Yeah, you know. Yeah, no, you're apt. Actually, you know, that you said you're absolutely right. It's a different type of person who you have in mind when you're writing for something like that. And it could be the ensemble apparat concert where we knew everybody there and every, you know, literally, and I knew everybody who had a piece on that program. Yes, that is small scale. It was, you know, a small number of uh, brass players, but it was insular to the point where I got anxiety being there. Uh, but when you do something for an orchestra, it's a, and there, there are going to be people there who have subscriptions, who are loyal to that orchestra, who you don't know, who don't know what you're about, who are judging you on their own terms, not on the terms of the fact that you're in the same scene that they are. And I'm sure that that feels in a lot of ways better and even more of a public service actually if you think of it well that, that that's all very kind of morally you're correct out. and so yeah. on but what i what i just mean is like i f f for me i need that you know i don't feel like a whole person i, th I just think it's very necessary I, I have spent some time you know also sitting on various uh, public funding bodies in in denmark and um, i think it's just very important whatever your definition of public is <laughs> and whatever uh, your share or your interest is you know as a as a creative artist as an audience as a person walking down the street and so on i, I think it's important to to explore different relationships to the society that you're living in. Um, so, you know, I, I don't think that all composers should write all the time for everyone uh, in the local supermarket, but 
I think it's important to put yourself in both positions uh, as an artist, or it's important for me to put myself in both positions of a, as an artist, um, to have sometimes the intense collegial audience and sometimes uh, to, to have a, an audience which is much more unpredictable um, and where one might not be understood at some level as one is uh, is used to among colleagues, but on the other hand, it can be rewarding on some completely surprising levels. Do you think this type of thinking also has to do with the fact that you're a curator as well or you've that's new i tried curating for the first time this year so i've oh, not done okay. that before so, okay. um, but i think you certainly have the right attitude if you're talking this way then this is also something that could you know goes beyond your own little world and you're thinking about the different types of the, you know wh whether or not you think it's good or bad you are thinking about different types of people and who's going to show up and yeah, but it's it's not because I think it's kind of like good or better or something. It's just because it really interests me. It really excites me. I, I, for example, I would never have thought before I started doing it that I would enjoy working with uh, with children. For example, I you know I I got really nervous thinking like oh my god to go to a school and try and you know my music to communicate my music they're never going to understand and so on you know <laughs> you know but that's what I thought before I started uh, for youth outreach projects. Um, now I've done a couple, not a lot. I'm really kind of um, infected by it, and I think, wow, that's a totally different energy you get from uh, from from these people. Music means something different. Uh, we're not talking here about amateurs or professionals; they're not even asked the question yet. They're they're still children. Yeah, no uh, conditioning. It's <laughs> yeah, wonderful. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, I mean, maybe some of them have ambitions. Some of them have a particular background. Some of them don't. Whatever. But um, you know, there's a whole there's a whole different range of uh, emotions and associations you get from working with them as an audience and as part participants or uh, creative participants um, than with working with professionals. It's not a question of good, better, but it's, uh, it's incredibly exciting. So incredibly uh, rewarding <laughs> to take that word again, rewarding for me. Um, uh, so, you know, I can live for years on that kind of energy. And, and it's the same, you know, when you have um, an orchestra uh, or a, a concert with a, with a very random broad audience, you might, uh, uh, as happened to me recently, you might have a total accident, you know, in just a collision with the audience <laughs> or you know or you or you might uh, have some very enriching reactions and um uh, both direct and indirect which you know which are incredibly inspiring so great well we've been talking for a while a little over an hour i think that's a good place to leave it thank you for doing this thank you